Hey there, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world about 10% nicer. That's our goal. A little update on what we're trying to do at the Super Nice Club right now. This week, we're going to be launching the Humans Live Here project. And you can check out Instagram, uh, social media, learn more about it. But basically, it's just a reminder that the, the unsheltered among us are human. And they're out there for many reasons. And yes, they have many struggles, but they're so very human. And, and in many cases, they're more resilient and more capable to survive uh, difficult changes uh, than a lot of us. And they may have a lot to teach us in the years ahead. I mean, think about it. If, if all of your security, your personal security is digital, there's numbers in an account somewhere, and the lights go out and the food runs short, the playing field's gonna get leveled in an instant. And those unsheltered, in many cases, are gonna be our new teachers. So let's give them the respect for the humans that they are and what they're dealing with. Again, watch the social media space for that. Okay, take this number down, 310-421-0393. That's the number that you can text to join the Super Nice Club Insiders community. Later in the episode, you can use it to win something super nice too. Text right now, you'll get invites to mixers with attractive and erudite Super Nice Club members in your area. Uh, online for now, of course, but uh, real world after COVID, whenever that is. We won't sell you stuff via the Insiders community text uh, deal, but if you want, you can go over to superniceclub.com. You can get hats and gear and load up on everything there that's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to start a super nice conversation or your money back over at superniceclub.com. There, got that plug out of the way. This week's guest I've been wanting to have on since the podcast launched. And today's the day. Today's the day that we finally welcome Jessica Graham to Nice Work. Jessica, she's an American director, actress, producer, meditation teacher, and author of the book Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out. And, and listen close to this podcast because we're going to be giving away a signed copy she won Best Actress Award at the Tampa International Gay and Lesbian Film Festival for her role in the acclaimed Two Minutes Later. And we'll talk about how Jessica manages to juggle all of these passions, um, what it was like growing up in a hobbit hole. Seriously, she grew up in a hobbit hole. It's a crazy story, so just listen, no joke. Mindful sex and how you, you, know, how you do it. Um, the super sexiness of loving the self. Jessica's lifetime and, and really candid growth and growing pains as she's learned the healing properties of meditation and ruthless honesty. Um, we talk about chronic pain, how it can affect sensuality, and what you can do about it, and nudity, being naked, having no clothes on, sunlight and rain bouncing off our genitals in a free world. I mean, like, why is that weird? Why was that weird for me to say? Why is that weird for you to hear? Is being naked weird or is our culture weird? I mean, I'm, I'm naked right now as I record this just because. True story. Okay. <laughs> You're ready? You ready to venture into the wilderness with Jessica Graham and wake up? I am. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with the wonderful Jessica Graham. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Nice Work Podcast. Really nice to have you on today. Good morning, afternoon. Thank you for having me. Okay, big question to start. 
This is a big question. I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying this out with you. This is the new way, maybe, that the nice work is going to start with each guest. I spent a lot of time writing a question that I thought would just bring the most out of people right up front. You ready, ready. for it? Who are you? That was it. What do you think? Well, I mean, isn't that the question when it comes to, um, when it comes to the spiritual path? That's kind of the question, right? Who am I? What am I? So, I mean, I mean, it depends on what, how you want me to answer that, because I can answer that on the, the level of like, oh, I'm, I'm Jessica Graham, I'm 40 years old, I do this in the world, I come from this background, I live in this city. But I mean, that can be stripped away very quickly if you are practiced at looking at what is actually like, quote unquote, real. So who am I? I mean... I think we'll get to stripping it down by the end of the podcast. I'm pretty confident with that. So you're, you're pointing out that maybe it's not the best. Opener. No. I get it. It's cool. Whatever. Um, I'm not. Not at all. I'm, just, I'm very yeah, I'm yeah, honest. Yeah. I'm very honest. Yeah. And so, so you're talking to someone who's spent like the last, you know, whatever it is, 13 years now, like in like pretty dedicated spiritual practice that all involves deconstructing who I am. It all, it's all been about deconstructing the idea of self and everything that makes um, the idea of self. And, you know, you're, you're catching me after many years of that work. And so I'd rather answer from relative truth rather than from um, some bio. I can send you my bio, but I think it's a great question. I think it's a great <laughs> question for, for an opener. And I think a lot of people would answer it in a maybe more satisfying way than I just did. Oh, this, I'm, I'm very satisfied here. Um, it's just that you do so much, you know, writer, actress, meditation, mindfulness teacher, orgasm instructor, none of which are you. They are things that you engage in and with, of course. But as you sit here today, right now, across the screen from me, um, where are you at? So where I'm at right now in this moment is... I have my dog sleeping on my lap and I have a heating pad because I'm dealing with a series of ongoing many year health stuff. And I'm, you know, in the process of some treatments that leave me with some, some pain and cramping. And so um, I'm, you know, kind of in a cozy mode, actually, I'm feeling very cozy. Where am I like in my life right now? What's my sort of what am I working with right now? I would say I'm working with this really beautiful surrender and a lot of incredibly refreshing clarity. Clarity that's just sort of pouring in like, you know, like a wild waterfall. I, I spent um, a couple months basically trying to manifest clarity and safety. And I just realized yesterday on a hike with my partner that it fully happened. Like the clarity is just coming and coming and coming. And the sense of safety is just growing and growing and growing. And by safety, I mean like unconditional safety. Um, I don't necessarily mean safety because if you look around, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I mean, things are, things are a little, little wild, a little uncertain, but the sense of safety within is, is really beautiful. And so I would say that I'm enjoying this period of in the midst of all the uncertainty, having clarity about some of the ways in which I'd like to arise as a human. So you were on a hike yesterday and you had, did you have a moment that is sort of washed over you? Or, I mean, this is, 
I'm curious. I'm curious what what it was like. Was this a uh, uh, a big life awakening, or just you just realized, oh, you know what? I'm I'm already here. Well, it was a you know it, it was really we were just in conversation about sort of next steps in life, and my partner was remarking that that I seemed to really be in a place of a lot of clarity. And I said, you know, I am. And come to think of it, I actually did a lot of work around that. Isn't that cool how that how that worked out? The work was really mostly just a letting go and a believing believing that that could be possible for me and feeling into what it would feel like in my body if I had clarity and then just spending time like soaking in that experience physically. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it was like a big life epiphany moment. It was more just like, oh yeah, this is this is kind of where the trajectory led to a to a moment where I'm you know hiking up this hill, you know, wondering and hoping that uh, the smoke isn't gonna be too bad. It was kind of cleared up last night. We have so much smoke in in California right now, um, and it just it just sort of occurred to me like, oh, and it felt nice. It felt. Um, I think what I've been focused on a lot in my life is like growing up. Um, I've been a grown up since I was really, really little. I remember somebody telling me I was like a, a little grown up and I was on my own very young and, you know, had to navigate a lot of stuff at a young age. But then there were these other like grown up things that I had no tolerance for and no um, skill around. Um, I've really been, you know, things like money. <laughs> You know, things like work and money and consistency and certain types of healthy discipline. I mean, I'm really good when it comes to relationships and interpersonal stuff and, you know, exploring spirituality and sexuality and and a lot of other areas. I mean, even though I didn't go to school at all, I did learn a lot. But some of these basic sort of grown up skills, um, like things like, oh, it's okay to want something and not have it and to just be all right with that. <laughs> like <laughs> it's okay to want right. things and you don't have to just like, you know, sacrifice comfort and um, consistency for every little thing you want. So the growing up piece has been, has been a lot of where I'm at too in interesting ways. And I might've not said that five years ago, cause I probably felt like I was pretty grown up, but I feel a little more grown up now and also younger at the same time, <laughs> more free. <laughs> That's nice. How nice is it to be able to recognize in the moment that you you were saying that you, you had a, a, a conversation, a reflective conversation with your partner and your partner says, hey, it looks like you're doing pretty great to me. And you're like, ah, wow, I am. If you hadn't had that conversation, you maybe you wouldn't have had the reflection to sort of own it. You know what I mean? Like I know for me, sometimes I'll look back and go, oh, wow, those last two years, I was really kicking ass and I was happy, but I never really let myself say that. People would come up to me and say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm all right. You know, it could be this, it could be that. When really I was doing great, but there was like a, a little reflexive thing in me that wouldn't allow me to just settle into it and say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great right now. Mm-hmm. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of us do that. We don't allow ourselves to, to recognize when things are going well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me it's almost like we're being selfish. Yeah, sure. I mean, for, for me, it was way, less know? about worried, being worried about being selfish and more in my life just about there wasn't um, the bandwidth to be acknowledging doing well or accomplishments. And I mean, that's definitely changed and it, sh- it, it changed some time ago. But um, but for sure, like there wasn't um, 
it's like when you're surviving and whether that's you're surviving, you know, poverty or whatever else, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, it's, you're focused on that, you know, and the negativity bias is strong. And so this idea of sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm doing well, like I'm, I'm doing a good job. There just isn't space for that. Um, at least that was my experience and what I see with others. And I think for those of us who grew up in any kind of, you know, trauma, et cetera, which most of us did, um, it's not really a luxury that we have. And then we get to learn, we get to learn that actually that's not a luxury. It's just a, a part of, of being human and being in connection with ourselves. It's, it's such a, an interesting statement that you said that most of us grew up in trauma. I think it's probably true that most of us did in it of one sort of a, or another. It's sad to think that it's also reaffirming to know that, uh, it's a, a big tribe and there's a lot of help out there, you know, because most of us did, you know what I found before we get into all the things that, that you do that don't define you, um, who you are. I found something out about you online that to me rises up, it piqued my curiosity almost more than anything else. I just, cause I got this visual that isn't true, but I read that as a kid, you lived in a state park in Pennsylvania in a 400-year-old house. Now, for me, having grown up, spent my whole life in California, except for a little blip in Oregon, first thing that comes to mind is that it must be like a tree house in an ancient oak and your parents were druids. <laughs> so am I right? I mean, not exactly, but, um, but, you know, some version of that. Yeah, so actually my mother and my stepfather still live in that house. Yeah. Really? 400-year-old house. What's the story behind it? Well, I, you know, honestly, I don't know, like, the story story around the house. I I know that, you know, it's one of a number of houses in Ridley Creek State Park that they are rented out and people take care of the homes and, and pay a, you know, pay a reasonable rent to live there. And when my mom split with my dad, um, we lived in apartments for a little bit, but then when she got pregnant with my stepbrother, um, we moved in to my stepfather's house, which was this big old 400 year old house. And, um, yeah, in the middle of a bunch of woods, it's changed a lot since then. You know, there's lots of development on the every edge that they could get it in. And part of the house is gone now because when I was 14, there was a fire. And, uh, so the, the house was kind of split about a quarter of it. We had neighbors that lived in it and it was connected through the basement, but otherwise it was, it was separated. Yeah. When I was 14, there was a fire and, um, you know, I woke up to my mom saying, get up, get up. And, you know, running out of the house, a lot of flights of stairs, you know, the whole place filled with smoke. And, um, we went and we tried to, to save our neighbors, um, from the other side, but we couldn't and they died. And um, oh. that part of the oh. house, you know, burned up. And so it was now where that ho- where the entrance to that house is, there's a big porch, but part of the house is gone. So, you know, the house has had a just in the time in my lifetime, the house has had a lot of a, a, a big story. And, you know, since then, my mom has started a flower and fiber farm there. And she has um, these big flower gardens and um, she has alpacas, angora goats, and then chickens turkeys. They're all there. She's very nice to all of them. None of them are for food. Um, we, you know, they eat the eggs, but the, you know, they're very happy chickens. And, um, she does use the fibers uh, from the animals and 
they, you know, they've made an amazing place there. That's where I stay when I go back east, um, which is interesting because I moved out of that house at 14 in not a pleasant way. And so now it's like a place that I just love being, which if you would have told me that when I was 15 or even 21, I would have said no way. But now I love it there. It's beautiful. And my mom just bought a new farm. And so they're going to, you know, they don't want to be renters forever. And so they're, they're going to be moving out of that place before too long. Yeah. I'm just going to dive into, like I keep saying, you do a lot of things. We're just going to have to start somewhere. And we're going to start with where I I believe where I came into knowing of you, which was, you wrote a great book, which I read called Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out. I know a lot of hosts tell their guests that they've read the book, you know, uh, and they usually don't. But I did. I did way before this podcast was a thing. And I know the book's been out for, how long did the book come out? Uh, uh, 2017, the writer, I'm coming up on the third year anniversary of the English language translation. So, or the English language. Okay. So I'm sure you're probably kind of tired of talking about it, but sex is without a doubt, you know, a super nice experience or one of the super nicest, or at least it should be, it should be. So humor me, please. By just, there's a, an article, a blog post that you wrote that inspired the book. And there are a couple of paragraphs at the up front that I think really introduce the book in a really great way. If you wouldn't mind reading them, be totally honored. I think, is that cool? We, we do that Absolutely. Pretty, yeah. So yeah, so this awesome. is the very first mindful sex article that I wrote for um, a blog called Deconstructing Yourself, which ultimately this series is what, you know, launched the book. So this article is mindful sex getting off without checking out. And it starts, when I was 14, I decided it was high time to lose my virginity. So I did. It happened in the backseat of a hot red car, I think it was a green Chevelle, with an 18-year-old with tattoos and a ponytail. I kept my turquoise all-star high tops on the whole time. I was high, and I don't remember all that much of the experience. I just did it because I thought it had to be done. It didn't really matter if I was actually present for it. I'd never even made out with anyone before. Later that year, I had sex again, this time in a field with a 20-year-old with a ponytail. I was also intoxicated again. This pattern went on for many years, not always with older men with ponytails, not always with men. What remained the same was my inability to really be conscious for sexual experiences. Even if I wasn't drunk or high, I wasn't fully there. I was checked out in some way. I didn't look into my lover's eyes. I didn't feel a sense of merging or the sacred. During the sex act, I certainly didn't tell them how much I cared for them. It was all about checking out and getting off sex without presence or intimacy. Wow. Sex without presence or intimacy. So if you're listening to this and that resonates with you and it probably does with a lot of folks, um, the book, the book is, is worth, it's worth a read. It's worth picking up. Again, the title is good sex, getting off without checking out. In fact, I'll send you a copy. First person, first person who, First person who hasn't won a super nice prize yet this year, and there's a lot of you, um, but the first person to text, I want amazing sex to 310-421-0393. We'll get a free copy of the book, Super Nice Club. We'll ship it your way. All right, so go. Do it right now. Um, so on that, on what you just read, I remember reading that and thinking, wow, I, I hadn't ever really consciously thought about, you know, checked out sex. Um, 
in, in my life, I've had, I've been, I think, lucky enough to, to mostly have really neat, loving partners. And in those rare times when I've had checked out sex or sex that uh, without intimacy, and those were usually just people that you just meet, you know, they were damaging. They were damaging to me in that they sort of turned me off of, of I don't know about sex, but certainly sensuality. Um, and they, they uh, made me wonder. I remember wondering sometimes, like, oh, am I even still into sex? You know, this is a beautiful person, and I'm having a hard time getting into this, you know, because there wasn't any intimacy there. Um, fortunately, I found that, you know, intimacy is intimacy, and that connection is something that can redevelop. But I did remember thinking, is this something that, that if you kind of, quote unquote, do it wrong, does it, does it uh, leave calluses? you know, so to speak, so that it'll be harder to reconnect intimately uh, with sex and with just a romantic relationship later. So that really hit me, you know, it made me really think about my personal history of sex and romance. Last plug for the book, because this is somebody who I, this is a reviewer who I really appreciate. Uh, here's a review of Good Sex. Good Sex is a beautiful meditation on full body pleasure as a mindfulness practice. Author Jessica Graham is a wise woman who knows how to make love with more heart and soul than most of us. Jessica teaches us how not to have just good sex, but great sex. That's a review from Annie Sprinkle. Annie Sprinkle, she's this legendary performance artist, sex educator, filmmaker, author. You should check her out. I was lucky enough, the quick aside, sorry. I was lucky enough to meet Annie years ago when I put together um, a sex workers art show at a performing arts theater I used to help run in Healdsburg, California, of all places. And she came up from the Bay Area and helped make that thing just awesome for the 11 Healdsburgers who were brave enough to come to the Sex Workers Art Show. It was, I don't know, I, it was a thing that I did. I, it, was a, it was a time and a place. And Annie Sprinkle's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I was like, I was so excited when I found out that we <laughs> we got a quote from her. It was like, it just felt like, that really felt like it legitimized the book in some way for me in a really cool sort of punk rock way. <laughs> so when you write a book like that, it's obviously it's very, you know, you're putting yourself out there in a naked and intimate way. Were you at a place where that was just easy for you? What was the process? Yes, I was. It was it was easy for me. <clears throat> I was interested in talking about sex from a very young age. I was the person in like high school age where my my friends would come to me or even people I didn't know that well would come to me and say like, um, you know, I'm pregnant and I need to go to a state where I don't need my parents' permission to get an abortion. Can you help me? Or, hey, um, I really want to give my boyfriend a blowjob, but I don't know how to do it. Can you teach me how to do it? Or, you know, my girlfriend's not having orgasms. Can you tell me what's like? I, like and I was sort of like the kid from... Um, from sex education on Netflix, except I wasn't getting paid, but, um, but it didn't matter because I loved it. I enjoyed the process so much. And so I was very comfortable talking about sex and masturbation and, you know, orgasm from, from a pretty young age. And, um, it was also very open in ways that a lot of other people were not like as an actor, in acting class, I would often hear like, oh, you're so brave. Cause I would like take all my clothes off. But to me, it was nothing. And I would say like, no, I'm not. It's just, I'm comfortable doing this. It's just that I happen to be comfortable doing this. And, and that was sort of how I was. There were, there were ways, there were non-traditional ways of being that were very comfortable for me, but there were a lot of ways that I was closed off. 
really, really closed off emotionally, um, really, you know, narrow in certain ways of thinking. And so it wasn't that I was just totally free and open. Um, and there was also some, you know, dysfunction and checked out qualities of my, you know, my sexual exploration as well. You know, when I wrote the book, I had been writing and teaching and talking and coaching around sex and mindfulness and spiritual practice and pleasure for a little bit. And um, so I was accustomed to it. I think when that article that I read an excerpt from first came out, it just really hit like it just it was very popular. It was also at a time when like social media algorithms were different. So it got it got read and shared quite a bit. And I remember that first article, I was like, what did I do? (laughs) Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe I put that out there. And then I just kind of got over it. And, um, and the book, um, as far as sharing my personal stuff, it was more like being sure I wasn't sharing too much, you know, being sure I was protecting people in my life, being sure that I wasn't sharing to a point that um, wasn't actually going to be helpful because it is my story, but it's also a book that's supposed to be, you know, supportive and helpful to others. So um, I, I think now as I'm, you know, older and wiser, it's, it is a little bit more difficult, honestly, like it's a little bit more difficult to talk about really personal stuff. And I still keep practicing that vulnerability because I think it's important. Has the book, obviously, well, I don't know if obviously, but it seems like you would have gotten and probably continue to get some some pretty personal stories from people to reach out to you and, and, and in gratitude and in questioning. Uh, how valuable has that been for you? Well, I'll tell you this. Every time I get a message on social media or, you know, through my website from someone who has been inspired or who has seen, you know, things change in their life or who, who has even started to open up to possibilities based on the work that I'm doing. It absolutely motivates me to continue. It absolutely is appreciated. Um, it means something to me because, you know, I spend most, I spend a lot of time alone. I spend a lot of time in my home. I, you know, my work is done virtually. Um, so I'm with people all day, but they're, you know, it's virtual. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, writing and things like that. It's like, you're kind of in your own, in your own thing. Like I'll be in my closet recording content for various apps that I record content for. And I'm just like, okay, well, whatever, I'm just recording this thing. But then when I hear from someone, like I used your meditation on the app and it completely changed my experience with anxiety or completely helped me when I was going to go drink and I didn't want to drink anymore, or, you know, it changed my sex life. Like that stuff, it, it actually really does matter. It makes a difference. And, and interestingly, when I get the not so pleasant stuff that actually doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really bother me, um, which I guess, you know, I'm lucky with that. And maybe as my platform grows, I'll get more of it and maybe I won't be so okay with it. I don't know. (laughs) But up until now, people have been very nice. And I think a lot of that has to do with how I respond. So if I get like a dick pic, for example, I don't say, you're so disgusting. You know, I say, I, you know, I, I'm not interested in sexual romantic connection. Um, I'm, you know, I don't offer, you know, that's not part of what I offer. And um, I, I'd rather you didn't send me this kind of content, you know, and if I have to block someone, I will. But, you know, the other thing I get is oftentimes people think that, um, that I, that I do sex work and I don't, um, I'm in full support of it, but I don't do it. And so with those folks, it's the same thing. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very kind about it and I will refer them to like, to someone if that's what they want. 
And usually right. people um, tend to just be really nice back and they, they kind of disarms, you know, even people who are maybe coming from a, from a more, um, you know, violent communication style tend to kind of calm down if, if you're nice. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Nice, nice is contagious, you know, ideally listeners. If you're listening, this is so important to, to remember that if you, if you read a great book uh, or article or, or hear something online, the person who created it, who wrote it, would love to hear from you because most writers, they're not doing it because they're going to get rich, all right? It's just not happening. They're doing it because they want to. They want to help. They feel compelled to. It's part of their life journey. And the feedback that is received is, is a huge portion of the value of the project, you know, for the authors of the content. So if you've read something that's changed your life in the past, even if it was 20 years ago, odds are pretty good that person is still alive. Go pick up that book and, and send them an email. Say thanks. This was an amazing thing that happened 20 years ago. I really believe in that. Sending positive feedback. We live in kind of a Yelp world where, you know, negative feedback often outweighs the positive. And if you read something beautiful, you know, you might, who knows, you might end up um, in a really neat conversation with this person that even furthers whatever lesson. Uh, Absolutely. Was. And I have actually a little story about that. I, I'm a big fan of the sun magazine. Um, I don't have you, have you, yeah, it's, I just, I just love it. And um, there was this story in there um, that just moved me to no end. It was just so beautiful. Um, and I reached out on, on Instagram to the writer and we've actually like started like a kind of like, um, you know, a, a mutual appreciation of each other. And, and she's turning, she's turning the article into a oh, book. Cool. And she's like asked me to, to be one of her readers and give feedback. And I'm just like, I look, you get asked a lot for feedback, you know, whether it's a screenplay or a book. And I try to have like pretty good boundaries around that. Cause there's only so many hours in a day, but this one, I was just like, yes, please send it to me. So you never know. You might make some connection as well. Oh, that's great. Um, you were talking about the, climbing into a closet and recording for a meditation app. You do medication, medication. <laughs> I, I, no, no, I don't I, think I, you do medication guidance. Do you do medication guidance? No, I'm not a doctor. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Meditation guidance, um, in person, via apps, workshops. Sure. Let's get into that. Yeah. So, um, so I am a meditation teacher and I do teach, like I have a, a weekly class that used to be in person is now on Facebook and Instagram live. And then I have a monthly, like it's a, it's sort of a group coaching slash meditation class slash like time for kind of connection and support. It's called seen and loved. And that, um, that's a monthly thing online. And, you know, I've, I've taught lots of workshops and retreats. I, I, I recently started teaching at Esalen and was supposed to be there over Thanksgiving for I was going to teach a five day human connection, compassion, gratitude retreat as a follow up to the five day I did last year, which was around sexual well being. But it's canceled because of COVID. So I won't be I won't be doing that. But so a lot of a lot of that kind of thing. And then some straight up, definitely some straight up meditation. The majority of the work I'm doing these days is one on one guidance coaching. Um, and so that really spans, you know, a, a big spectrum. It's I have everyone from folks who've maybe had some big paradigm shifts with meditation and really just need help 
with context and with integration and with continuing practice. And then I have people who work with me more like a life coach. Um, And then I have people who are working with me around sexuality and healing and communication. And then I work with couples. And that's what I'm transitioning into more and more is working with couples, which I just really love. And the meditation is is incorporated into all of this. Some of the people I work with they only want a little of that. Some of the people, they want more of that. So it really depends. But definitely my foundation is as a, as a meditation teacher and it informs the way that I coach. It informs the way that I lead like a workshop, even if the workshop isn't necessarily a meditation workshop. Is that uh, Wild Awakening, yourwildawakening.com? Is that where people would go to mm-hmm. find information on no, that? No, that's right. That wildawakening.com. Okay. Yeah. So if you're interested in any of what Jessica's talking about so far, yourwildawakening.com. Also, it's in the show notes if you're driving. Don't don't thumb it in while you're driving down the road. It's it's there. It's in the show notes. Um, but I'll say it again, yourwildawakening.com for this stuff. And so that you said that you're going to be extending more and more into the the couples counseling. Is that what I heard? Yeah. I um, you know, I work with a it's kind of a uh maybe an even split of couples and individuals, and definitely Um, I work with Mm -hmm. people of all genders. Um, So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't do the thing you're supposed to do as a coach, which is like, this is my ideal client. And this is what I do. And this, I just, I'm like, I actually like, I have experience in a lot of things. And depending on if we're a match, I can help you with a lot of different things and can support you and witness you in your process. And to me, that's, that feels way more authentic than, you know, saying like, I do this one specific thing. And, you know, it might not be the best financial choice, but it feels like the best, you know, choice just authenticity wise. And yeah, I'm, I like to do a lot of different things. Like I get, um, I haven't been bored in forever, so I don't get bored. I just don't even know what that means, but, um, I definitely like variety in my life. And so that's, that's mirrored in the way that I I run that part of my life and my business as well. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about, how you and folks we haven't even gotten into half of the different things that jessica does so stay tuned hang out hang on but i was gonna ask you about how you manage to move between right all of your passions and and how they fuel one another i know uh as a far less diverse uh professional person i still like to take time off from say my writing if i'm working on a script or or or, uh, some other project and then dive into photography maybe for like a year. Um, and then they fuel each other. They go back and forth. And there's a sort of I'm making a shape with my hand, pendulum. It's a pendulum. It's like a pendulum swing between the two that creates kind of a, a dependable energy for me. Do you take time off of one to recharge? Or are you always sort of juggling all these things throughout each day? How does that work for you? So... There was a point, and interestingly, the intersection <laughs> was nude modeling. <laughs> um, there was this point where I was like, okay, I'm doing all these different things. I'm directing, I'm producing, I'm acting, I'm coaching, I'm teaching, I'm writing, I'm whatever else, other things. And then I'm, I'm doing this nude modeling thing. And I don't really tell anyone about this nude modeling thing. And it's sort of this little hobby. And I might, you know, get I I make a little money doing it, but it's like, it's sort of just my thing. And I felt like I couldn't really be public about it because it was somehow in conflict with being a meditation teacher. It was somehow in conflict with being a teacher um, and coach around sex. It was somehow in conflict with being an actor. Like, 
And so I was like, you know, I'll just keep it, keep it to myself and the photographers and, you know, a few people. Um, and it wasn't like actively a secret, but I wasn't open about it. And there came this day when I was working with a dear friend and a, a wonderful actor and photographer and meditation teacher, um, Jeff Kober. And we were doing these series of, of photographs um, involving my vulva <laughs> and also just nude photography um, using the tiny type wet plate format. And um, I ju- it just hit me. I was like, this is what actually brings it all together. Like, don't I want to do the acting roles and the films and work with the clients and teach the retreats with people who want to embrace all of me, including this creative expression? Yes, I do. So mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, why would I keep this a secret? Actually, this is the thing that brings it all together. And when I started posting censored versions of this photography from the various photographers I've worked with, everything sort of started flowing together. And I was like, yeah. And yes, did I lose followers? Sure. Are there people that don't want to work with me as a result? Sure. Are there people that have some idea of what that means about me? Sure. But it doesn't really matter because, you know, it's just limitless, the possibilities. And there's no scarcity when it comes to like connection that can be made. And so that was a, a moment, you know, that was a moment of realization. And that was a moment that really kind of shifted the way that I was looking at all of my different work. And it also helped me realize that I wanted to be in alignment. So I didn't want to just do a film because I'm an actor and they offered it to me. I actually didn't really want to be running around spending my time auditioning. I didn't want to go teach at a corporate setting to just like teach like mindfulness for less stress. Like that wasn't really what felt most important and vital to me. So I started getting more and more clear on like what I wanted to do and, and how it could all be in, in alignment with kind of my values and and my purpose. And, um, and it's, that's how it's looked since then. Um, definitely it would not be possible for me to be a full-time actor going to auditions regularly and doing everything I'm doing. So there is a kind of, um, you know, there's a compromise there, but I've never really been that kind of actor. I've never really liked being told to run all around town and go to different auditions and impress this person or that person. I've more been like, you know what, if you like me and I like you, like, let's do it. Otherwise, like, it's cool. Like, that's kind of the way that I did. Right. That's, that's, that's yeah. the way and to the do cool, it. The cool thing is, is that like, um, that's drawn in projects that I absolutely love. I'm working with um, this director, uh, Alexander Gutterman, Alexander P. Gutterman. I just, I made a film with him last year in Duluth and it's probably my best performance ever. And it's one of definitely one of my top favorite films ever. And now we're in, you know, development for the next project. And I'm getting to be involved in all these like beautiful creative ways. We're doing a book club of like Russian literature in order to prepare for the film. Like it's like exactly what feeds me and it fits within all the other stuff I'm doing time wise and like tone wise. And, um, it, it, it works. And the interesting thing is, is that I do a lot less nude modeling now. <laughs> I do a lot less of it. I mean, partially it's COVID, but also it's like my body's not up for it as much as it used to be. And, you know, it's just not really where I'm being drawn. So even though that was the thing that kind of brought everything together, it's not happening quite as much anymore. But it's interesting that, I mean, the obvious, I guess, lesson there that, uh, you know, you're stripping everything, you stripped everything down right? To, to find the common thread or to find the thing that, that, that rooted you. I think that's pretty great. And I mean, whole different podcast, but this, the, the, the topic of nudity has just been a, a fascinating one for me for a long time as, as someone who grew up, I would say 
conditioned pretty much the same as any other kid to be uh, fairly, not necessarily ashamed of my body, but, you know, I don't know if I really looked down and, and looked at my penis and my testicles and really examined what was there, you know, until I was teens. I mean, it just wasn't, it was kind of like, you know, you just put your clothes on right away. First thing you do, you know, just, you're never naked. You get out of the shower, you immediately pull on those underwear. It's like, uh, cover it up. You know, you do that several thousand times over the first five years of your life. Yeah. There's a little bit of a weirdness there. Um, and shedding that right was, was an interesting process. It, for me, it culminated in, in being on stage in a performance mm -hmm. completely nude. You know, I was a, a, a the devil basically trying to seduce a, a, a priest. So that was perfect, right? But, uh, you know, and then we have these weird double standards around nudity and, and toplessness and all this stuff. It's just crazy, at least in the States. Yeah. It is, nudity is something that absolutely fascinates me. And as comfortable as I feel that I am now, with my own body and, and all its aches and pains. And, and, and that's an important thing, especially when it comes to sex and sexuality, you can be with someone who's absolutely ravishing, but they're not comfortable in their own skin. And it's just not a, it's, it's not great for the sex. It's not great for the intimacy. You know, if someone isn't comfortable being completely naked, you can tell, and it's such a bummer, right? I still don't think that I could nude model. I just, when I, when you're talking about it, I'm thinking, I just think that would make me uncomfortable, which tells me that I still have more. Work <laughs> no, doing, not necessarily. Right? Look, um, you know what? I've, I've, I try to be really clear about the fact that, like, just because this is one of the ways I express doesn't mean it's like the right or awakened way to express. Not everybody needs to take their clothes off and then put pictures on Instagram. I just kind of feel like totally idealistic and unrealistic that it would be neat if, you know, none of us had hangups around being naked. It would be. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, well, it, we can't even figure right, out that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it's, you know, it's, it's what you were saying a little bit ago about like, you know, the comfort level in one's body and how that informs the, the sexual connection and the sexual experiences is absolutely true. And the, the thing is, is that like, when someone comes to me to do work a or a couple either way comes to me to do work, it's like a lot of the work, it starts with being nice to yourself. It starts with self-love, self-discovery, self-exploration. You know, one of the first things I give people is, you know, a mindful masturbation or, embodied self-pleasure practice because we really we need to start there with like getting comfortable within our within our own skin but also knowing that you don't have to do it perfectly and it's a it's a definitely it's a journey there's no destination like I can tell you for me like you know I'm an expert and I am so continuing to learn you know it's like I am so like not doing it perfectly I am so continuing to be like oh, wow, I didn't even realize that about myself. And so if you're on that journey and you're feeling like, well, at this point, I can't even like have sex with the lights on. How am I going to like look in my partner's eyes while I orgasm or something like that? It's like, there's no rush. Take your time. It's the willingness and the openness yeah. that, that matters. And, and that takes a lot of self-love and a sense of safety. So the more that you can create that sense of safety within yourself through all the modalities, right? Including the stuff you just do with yourself. But the more that you can um, nurture that sense of I am okay and I am lovable as I am, the more you're going to be able to express in an open, free way sexually. So this, this idea of mindful sex, it's a phrase that I don't know if I had heard it before I, I read your writings or even considered it. You wrote, I'll just go ahead and read this, but this is something that I think is super interesting and just branches off into mindful sex as well as maybe you can cover 
um, your work in orgasm anxiety. You wrote, at some point in my late teens, I came up with a technique for getting out of my head and into my body. I would visualize that my brain was in my vagina, and rather than thoughts, it manifested sensations. I would focus on these sensations, which would intensify the pleasure and give me some freedom from my mind. I wasn't a pro at this technique, but when I was able to employ it, my sex life was much improved. At the time, I didn't realize that I was really onto something. I was on to mindful sex. That's that's really cool. Those lines are great. Can you just sure? Kind of go yeah, from there? I mean, I can remember. I actually remember it, and and it's. It's interesting because while, yes, in general, overall, like I had a checked out sex life, I also had a really amazing sex life, especially for a teenager. Like <laughs> I was like really kind of informed and, <laughs> and able to talk, you know, especially if I was drinking. If I was drinking, I could really say what I wanted and all of that. When I was sober, it was a little bit more challenging. But, but I do remember, you know, I remember being on this mattress on the floor. I shared this apartment with my dad and he was pretty much never there. Um, he, he, you know, he would travel a lot and we were like drinking buddies. It wasn't really like living with your dad. So he had the living room, he slept on the couch and I slept in the back bedroom and I had a mattress on the floor and I had, it was my boyfriend. It was my, I really think was my first love, even though I would have said I was in love before. I think he was my first love and we're, we're still friends actually today. And you know, we were like 15, 16, 17. And, um, I remember getting really caught in like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come. And he probably wants to stop going down on me now. And he's probably getting bored and blah, 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 blah. And I I wonder how I smell and how I taste and like all the anxieties that I've found go through a lot of, a lot of women's heads, but I'm sure, you know, (laughs) men have their own. Definitely men's heads. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I remember like, shift somehow shifting my shifting attention and finding awareness within the vulva and being like oh that feels totally different now because my attention wasn't in the thoughts and I was like and and I didn't realize at the time exactly what I was doing and even though I'd been introduced to meditation actually as a little kid um and I loved it there's a picture of me at like six years old holding hands because it was my sixth birthday and what I wanted to do for my birthday was everyone close their hands stand in a circle and meditate so it was in me, but it wasn't something I was practicing. And so <laughs> I knew you were a druid. I, told I you. mean, kind of, <laughs> I was definitely not a, you know, definitely not a, it was not, it was not like traditional, that's for sure. But yeah, so that ended up kind of being my technique, but it also involved a lot of tension. I had to like squeeze the walls of the vagina, like the, everything had to be very, very tight in order for me to have an orgasm. And it involved like a real sort of zoomed in focus. So I wasn't really necessarily super present. Um, And sometimes it would involve, Mm -hmm. oftentimes it would involve a certain fantasy or fantasies, which nothing wrong with that. Fantasy can be part of mindful sex, but if you're dependent on it, it's, it's different. Um, You start to have less flexibility and, you know, less possibility. So when I, when I started getting really into meditation, um, I, was like, well, wait a second. If meditation and this sort of paradigm shift I'm experiencing has made everything in life more alive and rich and pleasurable and just just amazing, then it would probably do the same for sex. And I my partner at the time wasn't wasn't interested in going on that exploration with me. And so I started it on my own. And I started 
rather than having the object of focus be like my breath or a sensation in my body or even thoughts, I had the object of focus be like the pleasure that was arising during masturbation. And I just started doing these sessions where I would just get, you know, really, really um, mindful of those sensations, but in a broader sense, like really finding it in my whole body and learning to relax, like not losing the orgasm just because I like <laughs> let the vice grip release, you know, and just started exploring it more and more. And, and, uh, it really just opened things up for me. And then when that relationship ended, the, the next relationship I got in, which I'm s- still in, I, uh, was like ready for a really different kind of sex. I was ready to just be really, really present. And I had done a lot of work around trauma as well and continued to do so for a couple of years, um, which helps because there's a reason why we tighten everything up and there's a reason why we're stuck in our head. And a lot of times it's associated with, with, you know, fear and anxiety and trauma. So those experiences are what that's given you the experience to coach people through orgasm anxiety, right? So you do that work too, as part of just your general, your general counseling that would probably come up during, during um, couples therapy as well. Yeah, as individuals, absolutely. Right? And it's, it's really common for people. It's, it's a really common, you know, aspect of all of this. And usually like, I'll start by teaching techniques that can help with anxiety in general and that can help with kind of being mm-hmm. stuck in the mind in general. And then we start to move them into, okay, how does this come into play with, with pleasure, maybe not even sexual pleasure, maybe sensual pleasure. And then, okay, let's move it into, into sex as well. And, you know, depending on, you know, where people are with that stuff, they, they move at various, various level, various speeds through that process. But yeah, I, it's been amazing to, you know, some of my favorite stuff is I get comments on my YouTube channel from from men or messages from men who are like, you know, this has completely changed my sex life. Like I couldn't ha- I couldn't keep an erection or I came faster than I wanted to or I didn't come at all and I really wanted to and like just these simple practices have helped that immensely. And so that's something that's really rewarding. And then, you know, when I somebody, you know, of any gender says like I didn't even know that I could have that sensation. Like that's such a cool thing to get to witness, whether it's a client or whether it's, mm-hmm. in, you know, through a comment or a message I get. Um, so it's totally possible, you know, and, and honestly, you don't need me for it. Like, this is something that, you know, you can, you can do on your own right now, you know, just start learning to tune into pleasure. When you get pulled into your mind, come back to the pleasure, you know, you, it's like, I have free resources online for, for guidance around this stuff but you don't even need that. Like next time you masturbate, pay attention to what feels good. Start there. Just keep coming back to what feels good and slow, slow down. And by slow down, I don't mean you have to like slow down. I just mean like get more present, you know? Okay. What does this feel like? Does this actually feel good? Um, Does this feel better? Uh, And that's the beginning of it. And, you know, anything that I do is an invitation, you know, it's just an invitation. Like, okay, like, you know, where, what are the possibilities here? I'm trying to think, I'm going to blow it, and I'm hoping that you'll save me by remembering. There's a guy down here in L.A., he was a, he was a chiropractor, and he goes by like Dr. Orgasm or Dr. O or something, and he's doing work with people. Women are saying, oh, I had, I've had 10 orgasms in a row after working with Dr. O. He's this, he's this phenomenon, right? Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but where he's coming from is that his work as a chiropractor, he's learned that a lot of people, men and women, though he mostly works with women and even does it online, there'll be a release, a physical release, right? Somewhere, a muscle release that will 
release a constriction that then allows for a much easier orgasm. If you don't remember who he is, that's okay. The point I'm bringing him up is because you also do work with chronic pain in meditation. Now, is there a, a, an arrow from, from one part of your, of your work to, to that area of chronic pain, from the sex and sexuality to chronic pain? Have you seen any relationship yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a huge factor. I mean, when you're in pain all the time, um, that can have a real, uh, there can be a real cost when it comes to your desire level. Um, you know, many, um, you know, many people with vulvas who are experiencing pain will experience pelvic pain, you know, will experience, um, you know, various, you know, interstitial cystitis or, you know, various uh, endometriosis, things with the things with the genitals in the pelvic area. And that can be a part of a lot of other ailments that can come with it, a lot of other chronic illnesses. Um, and so for some, for some folks, it's just painful even to have that part of the body touched. And so how do you continue to nurture mm -hmm. and um, cultivate and express your sexual self when maybe you can't necessarily have sex in the, in the ways that you want? And I mean, I have personal experience with this and it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, it's how I started this talk one time. It was at a fairly prestigious place. <laughs> and I started this talk. I got some great feedback and I got some not so great feedback. I, I kind of didn't read the room. Um, but I said, you know, I want to, <laughs> I was like, I, like, I want to lead with vulnerability. And I want to say, you know, yes, I've been touring around, um, with this book and talking about sex and mindfulness. And my, my book is full of like all the ways in, in which like I have this great sex life. And I was like, but I need you to know my health has really deteriorated in the last you know year or so. And my sex life has changed dramatically. And I, I said, I, I used to have multiple partners and, and fuck like a porn star. And now I have one and I have sex every once in a while because of the, the pain levels. And it was the porn star thing that the, the crowd didn't like. <laughs> um, right, right. But it's true. Yeah. Like I was, you know, and I say it in the book, I was like, it was my hobby or my extreme sport, um, sex. And that really changed as a result of chronic pain and chronic illness. And it's a journey that I'm, I'm on and, you know, ideally I won't be on my whole life. Ideally they'll, you know, that will change, but if it doesn't, then it's going to be a part of what my sexual self and my sexual life looks like. And that's navigating around, around pain. So it is something that I, that I do work with people around because it's, it can feel really, um, it can feel really isolating and really, there can be a lot of grief involved in that, in having to, be with your body as it is. But that's where the good stuff really, really shows up. Like when I really, really fully acknowledged that I was sick, and this is after being in and out of hospitals and urgent cares and on all kinds of medications, like, but when I really was like, oh, oh, I'm actually really sick. <laughs> like that was when my life started to really change for the better. And that's when I actually started to find some breakthroughs with my health and started to see some really significant improvement. So coming to that um, acceptance and being willing to go through the grief that is involved is what will lead you to, you know, not only a full, rich, beautiful life in general, but also a full, rich, beautiful sex life, whether you have chronic pain or not. You also, well, you live in Los Angeles, so you're an actor. You, you did a film called The Tangle, but that wasn't the film you mentioned 
Is was that the film that no, you were no, working it wasn't. with? No, no, it was so the Tangle. Um, okay. I'm, it's like that's the other film I'm very excited about, and that that may be my best performance ever. It's kind of a toss up. It was a more challenging, more challenging role for sure. Um, the Tangle is a lyrical sci-fi that was um, written and directed by my partner Christopher Soren Kelly, and um, we were supposed to have our Los Angeles release right right when COVID hit. So we had to cancel it. And now we're in the process of of signing with a distributor and getting it getting it out on all the platforms. And it's a it's a it's a you know really tiny film but very high concept and I'm really proud of it. And you know I, I might I know I'm a little biased, but I just really think my partner's a genius, a creative genius. And um I'm no, super talented writer, director, yeah. Christopher Soren, everybody. Keep an eye out. And this film, I'm a big sci-fi, well, I'm a movie fan, but sci-fi especially is uh, because I'm a nerd. So we all like science fiction. It's just how it goes. Um, excited about The Tangle. What's the other so the one? The other one mentioned? is called The Hunter. And um, it's, I wish that, I, I need to get a blurb from the director because it's it's hard, it's hard to describe. <laughs> um, but it's just beautiful. It's about you know, art and grief and, you know, and love. And, um, it's, it's really just a big philosophy lesson in a lot of ways, but I play, uh, this sculptor who is supposed to be creating a sculpture for this, for this performance that's sort of like at the center of the film. And I'm just going through this creative slash sexual slash spiritual block. And you just kind of watch me working through that. It's very much an ensemble piece. It's got a ton of actors in it and it's going to be loved by a very small handful of people and then either hated or just completely like what the hell was that by a lot of people. And I'm I'm totally fine with that and so right. is the director. Like it's for the people that it's for. So it sounds like this film is is full of car chases <laughs> and gun battles. Am I, am I summarizing oh, yeah. it right? Full of car chases. <laughs> totally. Okay. <laughs> lots, lots of- so if you like car chases <laughs> and gun battles with a little bit of sculpture <laughs> thrown in. Yeah. <laughs> this is your movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where where can folks find out more about so both of these films? The we'll Tangle, you can go to thetanglemovie.com. For The Hunter, it really it's just up on IMDb right now. That's about it. Um so that'll, you know, that more will be revealed with that. Um and then I have a couple other I have a couple other projects out there. I have a, a short two shorts that I directed that um that are releasing soon. Um, one of them is called Into Light, and it's about Inez Mulholland, who is a suffragist who died for the cause. And then the other one is a short called Listen that I directed, which it's about domestic violence. And that, that one requires a big trigger warning. And that'll be releasing this fall as well, in October for Domestic, Aware- domestic Violence Awareness Month. And then if you want something just fun and silly, super low budget, um, mm-hmm. Um, murder mystery that I'm the lead of. It's called Murder Made Easy, and that's available on all platforms, including well, not not all, but most platforms, including uh, Amazon Prime. And you know, it's just this tiny little movie with a lot of heart that uh, that I'm I you know I'm I'm proud of it. I think it's it's a lot of fun for for people that like that kind of thing. All right, so everybody knows what you're going to watch tonight. Murder Made Easy. It's got a lot of car crashes and gun battles in, <laughs> in it. One you guys will love it. A Michael <laughs> Bay film. <laughs> Pretty sure I might be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a Michael Bay robot totally. murder action film. So watch I'm, I'm it. actually made- a superstar, and I've really, uh, I've actually have like pretty large boobs, and um, you know, I'm I'm 24, and like I'm basically like today's Megan Fox. It's just you can't tell because you can't see me right now, but I'm Michael Bay superstar. No, but I can't. <laughs> True. 
is Michael Bay's, what's the word, ingenue? I was yeah. never an ingenue. It's like, I've always been like, I've, I mean, this is actually coming back to the question of like, well, where are you right now? I'm in this place of, you know, I've always been like holding on to like being an actor. When I started meditating and sort of like everything changed, like I got unplugged from the matrix, basically, I was like, what's the point of that? Like, I don't need to do that anymore. And then I came back around to it because I was like, because it's storytelling and because it makes me feel alive and I love it. And now I'm in a new place where I'm like, I do love it. And it is, it is really wonderful to, to be a storyteller. And it's, it doesn't necessarily need all of my attention right now. So I'm like putting my attention into just a few select projects. And then I have this idea intention that in my 50s, I'm going to really like dive into my directing and acting. And um, I think that's when who I am, also coming back to your first question, is going to come through much more clearly because my sort of face and body will more match what what's inside. I'm not sure what that means. Um, but I do appreciate how you just looped things really well for me. That was, that was a perfect book ending because we are heading into that part the fun part of the show where the guest gets to offer up the super nice club challenge. Uh, just a little something that somebody out there, that everyone out there can do on their own or with others to make their world first and then the world by extension a little bit nicer. You got anything? Got anything for the listeners? Super nice club I do. challenge. It was a toss up, but I landed on this. I really believe that when we're in connection with pleasure in you know, in a, in a healthy, mindful way that we tend to be, um, a more positive, uh, impact. We have a more positive impact on the world. We tend to be more pleasant, um, in general. And, and I think mm -hmm. pleasure is also incredibly healing. And so my challenge is that every day you notice moments of pleasure and that can be anything from like, Oh, I really had to pee and I peed and that felt good. Or like I was it does, right? It does. <laughs> or I'm like, I'm really hungry and I just ate this delicious sandwich or, you know, or I just had some really lovely sex or I just, you know, did this stretch that felt really good. Like anywhere on the spectrum of pleasure. Um, maybe it's even like the pleasure you get from scrolling on Instagram. If you get mindful about it, it's going to be less, um, probably, uh, has, have less negative consequences. So get really mindful about that pleasure. Um, all day long, you're noticing moments of pleasure. And then at the end of the day, write down one to three moments of pleasure. And when you write them down, see if you can experience them again, bringing them to mind, feeling them. Ooh, ooh. So I pleasure like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Revisit Revisiting them, cultivating, because I'm a big believer in like acclimating to how you want to feel. Because for a lot of us, myself included, like when I felt good, it felt bad. When I felt safe, it felt unsafe. When I felt loved, it felt dangerous. <laughs> like um, it, I, I didn't know how to experience um, certain aspects of life going well. Like I wasn't, I, I, I didn't. Oh, that's, that's my little dog. <laughs> hey, buddy. Um, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't have that ability. And so, what I learned to do is start to create the feeling I wanted to feel: happiness, clarity, safety, love, whatever it is, and then create it in my body and soak in it for like a while and then do that a little bit every day. It's kind of a version of like, you know, intentional thinking or manifestation, but it's not about a specific thing. So if you find like the thing I want is I want more money. Well, what would you feel like if you had more money? What would that feel like? Would it make you feel safe? Would it make you feel free? 
then cultivate that feeling in your body. Feel that every day. And my experience has been is that it works. And then when these things start to occur in your life, you're acclimated to them and you're not going to um, like self-sabotage or push them away or not recognize them. So the same thing with pleasure. If you want more pleasure, like notice pleasure every day, start attuning to it. So my challenge is pleasure awareness. I love it. Okay, everybody got that. You're going to become expert, proficient, pleasure double dippers. All right. You're going to, you're going to feel the pleasure and then revisit it. That's, that's where the programming comes in, right? In that revisiting at the end of the night. I'm going to try that. I haven't done that. I'm going to do that. Um, the pleasure of not feeling my back hurt right now is where I'm going to revisit at the end of the night. Um, do you have a question for me? I invite the guests. I implore, beseech the guests to ask one question of me. Yeah. How are you currently practicing self-love? Mm, that's a great question. How am I currently... Well, I'm trying to, like I just mentioned flippantly about my back hurting, I am really trying to pay, really trying to learn better than ever to listen to my body. And not just because I have an SI joint thing, but if I'm going to be doing it for my my hip, I should be doing it for everything else. Um, paying more, I'm paying attention to my toes these days. I just ordered some toe spacers. Do you guys know what toe spacers are? They go between your toes if your toes are kind of hammered and fucked up because they've been squashed in shoes for years or whatever. And they're awesome. They are awesome. And they make my toes happy. Um, they do. Check out toe spacers. There's probably like a toespacers.com. I'm trying to take care of my body in different ways because I haven't been able to do the exercise that I like to sort of regularly do. So I've been watching my body sort of uh, detune um, and, and decondition. And that's interesting and that's okay because I know like there's not so much I can do about it. So I'm like, okay, you know, changing body. What can I do? What's what's bothering you that I can kind of relieve? So working on my toes, working on a, a wrist issue that I have. And... Uh, I'm also really just allowing myself to appreciate the big leap that I've taken, which is moving to Los Angeles, which is something that took me 15 years to do. Uh, this is a city that I've always loved. And this comes up, it seems like, in every answer to every question on the Super Nice Club. But this loving of Los Angeles. Being here for a long time felt very indulgent. It felt like a very indulgent choice. It felt like a very selfish choice. And now that I'm here... I'm really allowing myself to revel in it and to congratulate myself for being here, knowing that it is absolutely the right choice. Uh, it took longer than I ever would have imagined. And now that COVID hit pretty just a couple of months after I moved here, it's kind of like I didn't really move here. I'm just kind of stuck in this little strange Brentwood uh, enclave that's really not like the rest of Los Angeles. Um, so my forays are just sort of furtive and, and few. Um yeah, I think that's kind of mostly what I'm doing. Beautiful. You know? There, there's others, but that's I that's top of my head. That's what came to mind. How did I do? <laughs> you did coach? great. I mean, I love that your self love <laughs> is about listening to your body and taking care of your body. Yeah. That's mine too. One of one of my main. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for being on the podcast. For being so uh, just open, real, normal. Um, I think the way you approach things is kind of normal, and we live in a world where. There's a big fear of normal. <laughs> so thanks for being that. Appreciate it. And thanks for being on. Uh, again, a shout out to The Tangle. Everybody should watch that. That's thanks it. Thanks so much, Todd. So there you have it. A super nice clump. But I can't even say it. I can't even say conversation. 
So there you have it, a super nice conversation with super nice Jessica Graham. Did you learn anything? Did you like it? Is there something there that made you go, hmm? Remember that song? Things that make you go, hmm? Who was that? It wasn't CNC Music Factory, or was it? Huh? I don't know. Anyway, if you did, if you enjoyed it, or if you didn't enjoy it, if you found it uncomfortable, would love to know. Uh, text us, 310-421-0393. 310-421-0393. You may have noticed in the podcast I said 0393. I always think it's weird when people mix an O and zero. They're just wildly different. And they look kind of similar, I guess. One's more elongated and sometimes has a diagonal slash through it than the other one. And, and, and O has two different cases, right? Lower and upper. Yeah. Why don't they do cases with numbers? An uppercase number could be like just really an important number. I guess that's what bold stroke is for. Okay. Rambling. Hey, if you did like it, we would love to hear. If you're an Apple user, um, you can leave a review. Yeah, that would be super great if you would leave a review on the Apple podcast review mechanism, machinery, device, interface thing, artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm not naked anymore. I put clothes on in between. I don't know why. I just feel like I could take the clothes off during the intro, but not during the outro. During the in, but not the out. So I've got some conflicts I'm still being honest about right here and working on with you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you being here for me. Uh, it just makes my world just a little bit nicer. 6% today. 4% to go. Okay. I'm not weird. The world is. Stay nice, everyone. So what? Big deal.